Welcome to Josh Scanlon Podcast, May 27th, 2019. I'm going to share with you a couple articles about Social Security, actually. One is that one in four, one in four, I'm sorry, four in ten retirees said they wish they'd filed for Social Security later. And we're going to talk a little bit about that, uh, how four in ten retirees said they wish they filed for Social Security later. Part two of that, we're also going to talk on on how Social Security works when it comes relative to inflation, all right, because Social Security, inflation, Medicare all have a significant issue that comes that you got to understand how this works. So we're going to talk about both of those. Before we get started, let me uh, share with you my sponsors, if you will. So I'll go ahead and put those on here now. I certainly appreciate you being here. I appreciate you listening to the sponsors. It helps keep the podcast going. So thanks much. So we'll be right back. All right, so let's talk about this study. Uh, one of uh, four in ten retirees, forty percent said they wish they'd file for Social Security later. If you can wait, says the folks who wrote this article at AgeFriendlyAdvisor.com. That's the advice from today's to tomorrow's retirees. In a new survey commissioned with Age Friendly, uh, the Mass Mutual Social Security Pulse checked Pulse Check access people in their 70s who are paying it forward by advising the next generation of retirees. And they are claiming or telling them to delay claiming Social Security benefits in order to maximize monthly payments. When you retire and then file for Social Security benefits should be your choice. And this study underscores the need to plan ahead for the unforeseen and save as much as you can, says Mike Fanning, who's head of Mass Mutual U.S., uh, many are okay. Let's keep going down. So, the key survey for findings three out of 10 or 30 percent filed at age 62 or younger, and I guess that's from disability. Uh, or you can file, of course, for your survivor benefit at 60. Nearly four out of 10 wish they had filed later, and more than half filed out of financial necessity, such as not having saved enough, and another one third filed as out as a result of an unforeseen issue such as health care or being laid off. Uh, Tim Driver, who founded uh, Age Friendly Ventures, said, Retirement and Social Security should be an informed choice. However, however, often clients are not sufficiently informed and they are not a choice. They have to do it because of medical issues, being laid off or something like that. Roughly 60% did not get help or advice when they needed to file and only 8% filed as a result of consulting with a financial advisor. And that's actually kind of scary because here, here I'm going to scroll down a little bit. <laughs> so remember, 60% did not get a, a help uh, when it came to filing. But then if we go to the, uh, the last two paragraphs, the majority of survey respondents, 80%, felt they had the appropriate amount of information about when to file for Social Security benefits, and nearly 60% didn't get help or any advice. Ah, that's I, I find that to be, uh, that's not good. The interesting thing about Social Security modeling is that every person and every couple is different, says David Freetag or whatever, uh, who also works at Mass Mutual. It's hard to make relevant generalizations about filing strategies when, in fact, reality, each person needs to do a careful analysis based on their own unique circumstance in order to ensure they're not leaving money on the table for years to come. And a financial advisor can help. Now, I agree with that. And they're going to obviously they work for Mass Mutual. They want you to look at Mass Mutual. I get that. 
And I even care if it's a financial advisor. Get Larry Kotlikoff's $40 financial planning software, maximize my social security. You got to do something because you might think you know, uh, but what you don't know can kill you for sure. And again, 80% felt they had the appropriate information on when to file, and 60% did not uh, ask anybody for help. But that's. So here's uh, uh, Alicia Monell over at Center for Retirement Research at Boston College. When you claim your Social Security benefit is one of the most important decisions about your retirement. The longer you delay claiming, the higher your benefit will be. And if married, your spouse will receive your benefit for the rest of your lives in the plural. And the larger the benefit for the surviving spouse will be. I, I tell you, that's... Uh, Look, man, just because you think you know all there is about Social Security because you're doing this break-even analysis on some website or some financial calculator, if you are not looking at your survivor benefit, you're making a huge mistake. You're making a huge mistake. Um, people not being able to sustain for very long on what they've saved appears to be a common occurrence today, says the guy from Mass Mutual. This study reveals that many people are leaving money on the table that they're eligible for and they could have received for many years to come, including their surviving spouse. Planning ahead for the foreseen and the unforeseen appears to be the pay it forward message from today's retirees to tomorrow's tirees, retirees. In the simplest and most conservative cumulative calculation, a married couple with longevity into their early 90s could be leaving more than a half a million dollars on the table a very, very tax beneficial, if not outright tax-free uh, money, I will add, because Social Security is taxed much more favorably than IRA distributions or earned income, for sure. And, or as much as two to 4000 a month for life by filing for Social Security benefits at 62 relative to 70. Furthermore, a surviving spouse could receive another one to 2000 a month for life uh, um, as a result of delaying as well. So, uh, my friends, that I could not agree with that more. Um, and let's go look at some of the comments here. And here we go. Similar stuff. Take your money at 62. Uh, the equality of this is this is the problem. Oh, my goodness. Here's a guy who writes in, take your money at, so, at 62. The equality of accumulated wealth is around 82 and comparing starting at 62 versus 66. And again, he's just looking at a simple break-even analysis. Um He's not looking at survivor benefit. He's not looking at if you survive beyond 82. It's actually about 80. And the likelihood of you surviving beyond 80 is quite high for if you're married finally jointly, one of you guys will. Um, I guarantee he's looking at a life expectancy of 78. And that's simply that is not the life expectancy for someone who's looking at Social Security now. Uh, and then the same guy writes in two things you must consider. How does one know when you're going to be around, uh, i.e., how do you know when you're going to die? How does one know Social Security is going to be around in the future? Uh, uh, I just, uh, okay. Anyway, let's see. Uh, uh, so we got, uh, and this other lady, I retired at 62 due to a job loss. Shortly thereafter, I had severe medical problems. Uh, the Social Security agent told me that if I lived to age 77, I would collect the same amount of money as someone who retired at the official retirement age. I will try to take care of myself and live even longer. I retired at 62 uh, and uh, with a debilitating il illness. Uh, if I managed to live to 70, I might get the same amount as if I would draw at, 60, uh, at 62. So that's the break-even analysis she's looking at, which, uh, which is 100%. But the drawback, of course, is if you live beyond that, uh, 
you would have would, would like to have de delayed for sure. Uh, let's see. Here's Maria. She writes, the wild card here is an employer can force you into an early retirement with no prior warning by outsourcing your seemingly good secure job overseas. And once you're unemployed and over 50, no one wants to hire you claiming you're overqualified. Well, I agree with that 100 um, percent. That doesn't change the fact that you can certainly use uh, Social Security later as opposed to now. Just because you get laid off doesn't mean you have to take Social Security. Look, you've got no other money. By all means, look at it. But the problem here is people are not looking at reverse mortgages. Reverse mortgages at 62. You can do a reverse mortgage at 62. Take the money tax-free to allow your Social Security to defer. Here's Wanda. If you file at 62, how much money can you make from working a side job before it affects the Social Security check? Uh, the answer is, yeah, I mean, you can make, I don't know, 17000 a year or something like that. But at, at full retirement age, you're going to get that money back. And the same guy writes and uh, yeah, seventeen thousand. Anyways, it's uh, it's too bad. I find a lot of people aren't looking at the full analysis, and yet they think they are. So, all right, let's pause there for a second. I want to read another article from a uh, horse's mouth that talks about uh, Social Security relative to Medicare. I think you'll find this one pretty in intuitive. All right, hold on just a second. All right, so let's talk now about this article that I read from Horsesmouth.com on inflation versus spending when it comes to Medicare and Social Security benefits. This is actually incredibly interesting, and I'll probably do a video on this. Uh, this is from my friend Elaine Floyd, um, who talks all about Medicare and Social Security. She's just uh, freaking awesome. All right, so the, the article is titled Dateline just the other day, May 23rd, 2019, Inflation versus Spending. All right. The latest CPI reports, uh, Consumer Price Index, shows annual inflation running around 2%. This seems ideal, really. It's not high enough for the Fed to raise interest rates, and yet it's not low enough to, su to suggest economic weakness. weakness. When viewed in the context of other economic indicators, strong GDP, high productivity, low unemployment, is close to a Goldilocks situation. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, the Phillips curve with uh, those old economists with their Phillips curve and all these other macroeconomic viewpoints. Uh, they're spinning in their grave because they're like, we didn't predict this. Hmm. Reminds me of someone else who's predicting models of various things in the globe. Uh, but when you start digging into the numbers this time viewing inflation in the context of individual out-of-pocket spending, there are some worrying developments. Let's focus on Social Security and Medicare. These government benefits are designed to reduce some of the shocks faced by retirees who no longer have the ability to earn wages. Social Security provides inflation adjustments to help retirees keep up with the cost of living. Medicare pays most hospital and doctor bills, increasing such payments as costs rise with inflation. All right, so we got inflation with Medicare. We got a cost of living adjustment for Social Security. But because Social Security and Medicare do not cover all the typical retirees' expenses, some expenses are left to be paid out of pocket. And I don't know why this is an issue. Yes, you're going to have to pay some stuff out of pocket. Wow, welcome to the freaking world, man. Everyone complains, why do I got to pay anything? It's the way insurance works, and Medicare is an insurance program. Ah, That's my commentary, not what Elaine says. And therein lies the disconnect between the supposedly ideal inflation rate and the typical retiree's personal experience of inflation. So let's take a closer look. The average Social Security benefit is $1,500 a month in 2019. 
Uh, the Part B premium is one thirty-five fifty for two thousand nineteen. So the average Social Security benefit net social the average beneficiary's net Social Security check is one thousand three hundred sixty-four dollars. All right, because we got a thir- uh, the average benefit of fifteen hundred. You subtract out your Part B, and you have a one thousand three hundred sixty-four dollars left. If the COLA for 2020 is 2%, this will bring the average Social Security benefits uh, beneficiary's check from $1,500 to $1,530. Medicare trustees, though, project the average prop, uh, the Part B premium to be an increase of 6.5% to $144. So again, the Social Security beneficiary had a cost of living adjustment of 2%. Her benefit went from fifteen hundred to fifteen thirty. Part B went from to six point five percent. The Part B cost went from one thirty five to one forty four. You're with me so far. Since the eight point eight eight dollars and eighty cents increase in Part B does not exceed the thirty dollars cost of living adjustment, this will not engage the whole harmless situation, and thus. The average Social Security beneficiary will be required to pay the full Part B premium. All right, so let me explain. Cost of living is going up by two in terms of your Social Security benefit. Medicare Part B premium is going up by 6.5, over 3% increase. But because your Social Security uh, benefit is $1,500, that 2% on $1,500 is $30. That 6.5% on $135, though, is only roughly $9. So you are still receiving more money from Social Security increase, even though it's only 2%, than you're paying for the cost of living uh, adjustment for Medicare Part B. But because you have to pay the full freight of the Part B adjustment, you will only actually be getting a net increase in your Social Security benefit of 1.5%. Because you're not getting the full 30. You're getting the $30 minus the $9 increase in the Part B. I hope that makes sense. So you're only getting 1.5, even though they're saying the COLA is 2%. And this is the actual COLA for 2020, as announced by an October 10th. So, uh, or the actual COLA will be announced in 2020 in October 10th. So let's just, again, we'll say that's a fact that's going to happen because this is what the trustees report shows that the expected cost of living adjustments for Social Security, as well as the premium increases for Medicare. Now, let's assume it continues this way for the eight year, next eight years. After 2020, the Social Security trustees projected inflation 2.6, and the Medicare trustees uh, projected a premium uh, Part B to rise by 5.9, so basically a doubling, all right? Here's how the inflation adjustments will affect the Social Security beneficiaries check, all right? So uh, the average beneficiary is 50. The benefit for Social Security right now is $1,500 a month. Uh, the average Medicare in 2020. All right. The average Medicare Part B premium is $144 a month in 2020. And so the net benefit is $1,386. An actual cost of living increase of $21 net. So you are going to make $21 a month net of Social Security, even though the the, the uh, cost of living adjustment was 2%. You're only going to bring in about 1.5% net. So we fast forward to 2028 at a cost of living adjustment of 2.6 on average, according to the trustees report, your average benefit will be $1,831. 
Uh, your your cost of living increase will be 48 bucks in that year, but the Medicare premium will increase by 8% as a projection. So now Part B premiums are $226, significantly higher than what it was before. So now the net inflation adjustment is only 1.9% because you're only getting an increase in your Social Security amount of $31 whereas a stated cost of living adjustment would be 48 because you had to pay more for Medicare Part B. The point is, while the 2.6% projected cost of living adjustment is true, you're getting that, you're actually not netting that. You're getting it, but not netting it, if that makes sense. And so that's, a, that's an issue to consider. Now, when I run financial planning software, I always use a 2.6 cost of living adjustment with a three with a 5% cost of living for a healthcare adjustment. So I'm hitting this spot on uh, roughly simply because the Medicare trustees tell us that their uh, cost of living adjustments will be about double what the, uh, the uh, Social Security cost of living adjustment. All right. So the CPI assumes the average household spends 7% of its budget on medical expenses. Uh, but, but according to a BLS study of older Americans, People over 65 spend about 12 to 16 of their income on health care. That's true. And what they spend three times more? Housing. Yeah, that's what my freaking fr frustration of this whole thing is. They might spend 15% on health care, but they spend 40 to 35 to 40% on housing. But no one ever says, oh, according to CPI, medical expenses are up about 2.3% over a year ago. Yet the Medicare trustees uh, adjust that for 65 and they give us a, uh, a how to the methodology and how the trustees get it. Suffice it to say that retirees are falling further and further behind as their incomes fail to keep pace with the rising cost of healthcare. And I don't agree with that at all because they're not they're actually netting more money. They're just not netting as much. Uh, then uh, Elaine tells us about if you want to scare clients with a big number, throw the fidelity study at them, which always. Uh, it's the what these guys use to scare you so you'll buy long-term care or you'll save more money. If you want a more nuanced but also big number, refer to the EBRI study, which says that a couple with a median drug cost needs $301,000 at the start of retirement to have a 90% chance of covering all their health care costs in retirement. Again, that's fine. We don't disagree that health care costs is a big expenditure for retirement. The issue is it doesn't come close to the biggest cost, which is housing. It just doesn't. Or to avoid scaring people, which is what you should do, forget the bigger numbers and figure healthcare costs on an annual basis, which is the only thing that matters. And the Vanguard Mercer study, which I've done a video before on, uh, does that exactly. And clearly, costs are all over the map. But according to their study, a 65-year-old woman at medium risk will pay between three and six thousand a year for healthcare. I'm sorry, that's not the same thing as looking at it as three hundred thousand dollars. If you take this approach to try to customize it as much as you can to the client's health situation, be sure to build a generous inflation rate of 5 to 6%. Yep, I completely agree. And here even my friend Elaine says, typically as people age, they spend less on travel and other fun things and spend more on doctors and not so other fun things. Huh, whoever said that? This is normal. So maybe the message is not to retire until you have enough income to afford fun, fun things in early retirement. All right, wait, the whole point about that is just you got to remember, I, I disagree with Elaine. I like Elaine, but I disagree with the assumption that it's all 
um, scary tactics. I mean, I know it's scary taxes on the industry. It's not scary. Ta- if you're spending 5,000 a year on health insurance and retirement, uh, that doesn't concern me in the least. It doesn't because the biggest expense of your of your cost will be housing without question. Focus on the housing. Don't focus so much on health and you're going to be just fine. So but that is an interesting thing. And again, I'm going to do a video on this as well. So as always, my friends, if you like these uh, podcasts, I'm going to start doing them on a regular basis. Don't forget to subscribe. Hit the five star rating if you would. Tell the uh, you know, listen to the sponsors. That helps me immensely and helps keep sponsorship going. And, uh, and uh, comments are always welcome. So comment. And now you got a little voice, the voice thing. So if you're listening to this, you want to send me a voice message where I can put you on the air, by all means do so. There's a little button on the app that says send a voice message. And uh, by all means, man, do it. I'd love to hear your thoughts on uh, questions, thoughts, and concerns. All right. We'll see you guys next time. Thanks now. Hey, Josh. This is Bill from Harrisburg, Pennsylvania. Love the show. Wondering what you think of Vanguard Advisory Services. I know they're only uh, charging 0.03%. I was just curious what your thoughts are for uh, what you get for that. Thanks.